how about this first one right here? Does anybody recognize this fellow? Does anybody know who this is? Okay, his name is Alexander Graham Bell. Now, does that ring a bell? Okay, so what do we know about Alexander Graham Bell? He invented the telephone and did so right here in 1876. Okay, that was, that was a few years ago, but we were, how, about, how about this guy right here? Does anybody know who this is? Thomas Edison, and what is he known for? He invented what we call it the light bulb, but electric light, and that happened in 1879. How about this guy right here? Good-looking guy. I, I mean, to be my twin. I mean, with all that facial hair right there. How about that? Pro anybody know? Not Tesla. His name is John Froelich. And in 1892, he invented what I think we take for granted is the gas-powered tractor. And that was a huge invention. And boy, I mean, it, it, it led to millions of people getting food that would not have had it uh, before that. Okay, and how about this last guy? Anybody know this guy? His, this is John uh, Atanasoff. Atanasoff. And in 1939, he invented, what's that? Nobody knows what that is. That is a computer. That is the first computer in 1939. Can you, can you believe, I mean, we're coming up on, I mean, we're not too far away from 100 years of the computer being around. Obviously, it didn't make it to what we know it as until uh, just the last several decades. But there are other notable inventions that have taken place in that time period. We have Carl Benz's automobile, Orville and Wilbur's plane in 1903. Anybody remember where that happened? At Kitty Hawk. John Baird's television in 1926. And a big one that we don't think a whole lot about is Alexander Fleming had penicillin. That was one of uh, Rusty's uh, roommates in college, I believe. That was in 1928. You don't think penicillin was important? How about this unusual but interesting fact? In World War II, if you were a soldier and you got pneumonia, you had a 20% chance that you would not survive pneumonia. The next war, after penicillin had been invented... When World War II came out, and if you were a soldier and you got um, pneumonia, you had a 1% chance that you would die from it. There's about 100 people in here, folks. Think about that. How big of an invention is that? That before penicillin, 20 of us would have died from pneumonia, and after it, only one. I mean, we have all these inventions. I mean, can you imagine a world without lights or phones or cars or computers or TVs or modern medicine? I mean, we really take so much for granted and we don't even realize it. I want to stop for just a minute and do something I've never done before. I'm going to give a minute of, of our time to a guy who I absolutely love. His name is Nate Bargatze. He's not a theologian. He's not an author. He's a comedian, and I know we're talking about this on Sunday morning, but he's going to make something I think is really applicable, so I want you to listen to what he has to say right here. Think of it like, uh, like time traveling. Like if I could go back in time, like if I could go back in time tonight, 
and go back to like the 20s, knowing everything I know right now, I don't think I would make a difference. <laughs> I don't think you guys would even hear about it. I don't think you would. I just don't, like, because I don't have anything to get, you know, like I would go back and I would see like some guy on an old phone and I'd be like, hey, eventually they have phones you like carry in your pocket. And they're like, yes, like, how do they do it? I'm like, I mean, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> um, I think it's a satellite, I think, a satellite. They're like, what's a satellite? Oh, I should have even said that. Uh, <laughs> It's like metal. Metal's got to go pretty high in the air. I don't know if you guys are doing it. I don't even know if I could prove I'm from the future. I don't even think I could. I think I would just get stuck, because they would want something. Like, who's the next president? Oh, boy. Uh, oof. Abraham Lincoln, you guys are going to love him. He's really good. They just think I'm from the past. That's what they were like. It would just look like they don't have to get a regular. I, I love thinking about the idea of what would happen if I went back in time a hundred years. Could I be able to describe anything that's happened? Like if, if I had to say, okay, the, we have cell phones, I would have no idea. Even like things like indoor plumbing, how does that, I don't know. Like I turn a knob and it comes out, where is it? I don't know. We have all these inventions. What I really want us to see is, is that things have changed so much. Just in the last 150 years, things have changed. And it's funny because things have changed so much. But if you think about it, it's not really funny at all. Okay, so what if I asked you to pick up a songbook? This is a thing. We don't even use these. This is in the last 20 years we stopped using these. What if I asked you to pick up a songbook and turn to page 334? Don't, I'm not going to sing. Some of you guys are getting really nervous. Carolyn, don't worry, I'm sing. She's like, oh no, the Lord's coming. If he's starting to sing, like this has got to be the end times. But what if I told you to turn th to 334? Tis midnight and on olive's brow. The star is dim that lately shone. Verse 4, tis midnight and from ether plains is born the song that angels know. I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say I don't like this song. Okay, this song... It's a little older. In fact, this song was written 50 years before any of those inventions that we talked about. This song, Tis Midnight and on Olive's Brow, was a hundred years old before penicillin was invented. Now, I'm not here to say that I don't like that song. See, the thing is, I really do like that song. My point is, is that we all have become, become very comfortable with how church is and it looks and it feels and what's expected of us and what church should be when everything around us is drastically, drastically changing. And my question is, as a church, as a body of Christ, are we prepared for this changing world? I grew up in a time that appreciated older generations, historical events, and elderly people. Lynn, that's why I like you so much, right? But, but more of the younger generations don't feel that way at all. They think the Bible is a myth. They think the Holocaust is a hoax. And they think that the moon landing is some conspiracy, 
If it's something that they haven't witnessed in the last 10 years, it is something that is ancient. I mean, we can all remember back in 2007 the introduction of the smartphone. And we saw that as such a huge leap in technology. But in just a month, we are going to have kids who are graduating from high school who cannot imagine a world without the iPhone. They were in diapers when it came out. Everything in our world has changed. But if you go back when the iPhone was invented and you think of everything that's happened in just that short of time and you think of how we look and act and treat people differently, has the church changed at all? And you're going to say, whoa, 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 Doug. The church is not supposed to change. God is the same always and forever. Yes, that is true. But the church has changed over the last 2,000 years. Because you want to go back to Acts, and we look at 120 people from all different places that came together. They were Middle Eastern people who spoke a language that we didn't know. They didn't sing, they chanted. They didn't wear t-shirts and blouses and jeans and shorts and skirts. They wore robes and tunics. And they had to change and adapt. And one thing, if, if you've been with us on Wednesday night, we talked about as we go through 1 Peter, what, what they had to deal with and how they became such a special group of people. Of course, they were powered by the Spirit. But they would go out and do things that the rest of the culture wouldn't do. When they literally would take babies and throw them out because they were deformed or because they were female, Christians said, we will go take those babies and we're going to pull them in and we'll raise them. And in a time when women were not anywhere near equal, they were property. Christians, Paul and Peter wrote letters that says, hey, we need to honor our women and we need to love them and sacrifice them like Jesus does for the church. And we've watched how the, the, the church has had to change. But, but now we've been here and things, we're singing songs. And we're sitting in pews and we're still doing some things that we did 200 years ago. I'm not suggesting that we conform, concede, or compromise. Jesus is the King that we worship. He is the Savior that we need. He is the Lord that we follow. The message of the Gospel of Jesus Christ is one of love and forgiveness and mercy and kindness and joy. Did I just describe us? Is that what people are saying when they drive by a church building? Those buildings are full of people who are so loving. They forgive. They are kind to everyone. Even their neighbors and their sister and the, the waitress. And they have this joy that is so amazing. People are out there and what they're saying is, I just want to walk in and be surrounded by people who exude peace and emit gratitude. Is that what's happening? Do we need to lock the doors because we say we're full? We know you want this joy. We know you want Jesus. It's in here, but we just don't have enough room. 
I just got to go to a conference just about three weeks ago with John Maxwell and Andy Stanley and Tim Tebow. That place was packed. People paid lots of money to get in there so that they could listen to those guys because they wanted to hear a good word. Are people dying to just come in here? I mean, you wanted to pay a lot of money to get those front row seats. Man, you don't, you don't get caught stuck on the front row in church. You either have to lead a song, right, Brett? Or you're coming forward because something's really wrong. The further we get back, the better. I'm just curious. Are we entering into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise? Listen, I know this. I know I know this is a hard sermon, and what I'm about to say is about to be really offensive to a lot of you. But here's what I want you to know. I am convicted that if we fight to stay the same as we've been, to recapture the glory days of the 1950s, this congregation will not be around for the 2050s. And you can say, Doug, you can't say that. The church will never disappear. Now, I agree with you. The church will always exist, but it's going to have to look and act and think differently than it is today if it's going to survive in America. And I wish I could say that, that we're up for it in America. But here's the thing. Churches are closing. Right now, between 6,000 and 10,000 churches are closing every year. One study revealed that about 1,500 pastors, ministers, are leaving the ministry every month. Think about this. We can't just sit back and say, God is just going to protect us. We just need to do whatever we're doing. The Christians of the first century didn't think that. They went out and grabbed that baby that nobody else would. They could have said, you know what? We love Acts chapter 2. We love getting together and everybody being blessed. And we're just going to hang out and we're going to close ourselves in and we're going to do what we're supposed to do. And that's how it's going to be. They said, no, we are going to change to help this world see Jesus. We cannot pretend that the morals, the family dynamics, that technology, consumerism, parenting, education, sexuality, television, and politics hasn't drastically changed this country. It is not the country that your grandparents grew up in. VBS, door knocking, revivals, big buildings, and social norms that used to bring people into these doors don't work anymore. I want to read this. This is uh, from uh, a book called uh, Canoeing the Mountains. This is in the opening pages. Uh, the book is written to church leaders and basically says, what are we going to do now that this culture is changing? And here's a conversation that the author, uh, Tom uh, Bolslinger, has with another older minister. Uh, they're sitting down and the older minister says, you know, when I began my ministry in a church in Alabama, I never worried about church growth or worship attendance or evangelism. Listen to this. He says, back then... 
If a man didn't come to church on Sunday, his boss asked him about it at work on Monday. Sociologists and theologians refer to this recently passed period as Christendom. Christendom. The 1,700-year-long era with Christianity at the privileged center of Western culture life. Christendom, I never can say that word right, gave us blue laws and the Ten Commandments in school. It gave us under God and the Pledge of Allegiance and exhortations to Bible readings in national newspapers. He says, I have a copy of a Los Angeles Times from December 1963 that had stories on the Warren Commission, the 9,000-member Hollywood Presbyterian Church, and a list of daily Bible readings for the upcoming week. Can you imagine the Los Angeles Times exhorting people to read their Bibles today? It was a day when every city father laid out the town square with the courthouse, the library, and the first church of whatever within the center of the city. For most of us, those days are long gone. When cities are now considering using eminent domain laws to replace churches with tax revenue generating big box stores, when Sundays are more about soccer and Starbucks than the Sabbath, when Christian student groups are getting de-recognized on university campuses, and when the fastest growing religious affiliation among young adults is none, when there is no moral consensus built on Christian tradition, even among Christians, when even a funeral in a conservative beach town is more likely to be a Hawaiian-style paddle-out than a gathering in a sanctuary, then Christendom, as a marker of society, has clearly passed. Now, I don't know if you know this, I don't know if you've thought about this, but life has changed. And it's not the what it used to be. And I'm not sitting here saying, okay, let's bring in the band or let's give all these. That's not what I'm talking about. What are the markers of Christianity? Love and forgiveness and mercy and kindness. That's what we're called to do. What is the church going to look like? If we don't change, it will not make it. As a people who love Jesus, as a people who love people, we need to know that we have to start thinking how we can live life differently so that the gospel can be heard by future generations. I'm excited. That there, are, that there are places around this world where Christianity is blooming and blossoming and growing. But it's not here in this culture. And we have to think, why is that? And what do we need to do to make changes? There are things that we did before the phone and before the computer that made total sense. But once we had this, how many... <coughs> Sorry, I'm getting excited. How many of you carry around a pager? Does anybody have a pager? I, I can remember the day, Ken, Kenny, you have a pager. God bless you. I can remember a day when everybody had at least one, at least one pager. And you would carry that around. 
Kids, you have no idea what a pager is. It's this little bitty box. You'd put a battery in, and somebody would call that number. And when they would call that number, they would punch in these dials, and your phone would page, or, or they'd call beepers. It beep, 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 and you would look down, and it would, it would give you a number, right? And that number meant that, that you would, like, pull over on the side of the road, and you'd go find this crazy thing called a pay phone because you had to pay to use that phone. You put a quarter in, and you would call back that number. That's a, sorry, Kenny, I don't mean to, that's a crazy idea now. Nowadays, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, they call you, they text you. You don't really need a pager that much anymore, unless you're super important like, like Kenny, because Molly, she's got to get a hold of him. You better respond to that page immediately. She, if she has to put 911 after that number, oh, you're in big trouble. Nobody carries around pagers. And the, the idea of carrying one around, generally speaking, is like, well, that's, that's outdated. Listen, we can be the, the, the people of God and, and love people, and things may have to look really different than what it did. And this has been really heavy on my heart. I had a conversation with my professor last semester, and I was talking, he says, I'm really concerned. In fact, the, the Atlantic, a, a newspaper, wrote an, had an article published uh, just a few years ago, and the title was, What Should America Do With Its Empty Church Buildings? Right. Folks, this is real. Yeah. Now, we feel a little isolated because we're kind of down in the south. We're kind of in the Bible Belt, just a little. We're on the edge of it, but we're still in it. And we feel, oh, yeah, that's still a big deal. But, but more and more, churches that are refusing to think differently are getting smaller and older and they're closing and we have got to do something about it now i, I don't want you to be depressed because i don't think it's all bad news i think we just need to be aware of the fact that look the the kids that Mike and Michelle are, are teaching or walking up and down the classrooms with, the hallways with, that my wife, that Robbie, like these are Lee, so many of our teachers, like th their kids, those kids don't know Jesus. And they are not going to just walk in here off the street because they think this is a really cool place to go. The world has changed. I wanted, This is a useless statistic, but I, I have an extra minute, so I'm going to use it up. Use the statistic. You want to know what's gone down, what sales have dropped since the, the cell phone has come in, since the smartphone? You'll never believe this. Gum. Gum has dropped in Why has gum dropped in sales? Because it's an impulse buy that when you go to the cash register and you're checking out, you're staring around and you say, oh, I would love some juicy fruit. And you grab that. And sales are down. You want to know why they think sales are down? Because people, right, Josh, they're staring at their phones. They're not looking at the juicy fruit and the Wrigley's gum anymore. When was the last time you looked up and said, I think I'm going to get a pack of Big Red? Now, I know that sounds funny, and it is, but the fact is, is that, that the, because our, it, technology has changed so much, what worked 20 years ago isn't working now. So I'm going to do it like I've been doing it lately. I'm holding off in class. In cl if you stay around for class, we're going to look at how society changed. 
We're going to look at what changes we need to make. We need to discuss if we're even willing to make that change. Because I'm kind of curious. I, I was thinking about like, what's a good analogy? Are we like a body that like, we've been told by the doctor, like you need to eat healthy and exercise. And if you don't, like you're going to die. Or maybe we're like an arm that says like, hey, you got to do something. If you don't get cut off. I have another one though. I think, I think we need to imagine ourselves more like lifeboats. That that's, that's really what we are. We have to preserve ourselves. We have to be ready when people need that love and that forgiveness. If we just say, you know what, we're going to keep doing what we're doing, that's like pulling lifeboats off the sinking ship and say, nope, I'm not willing to do that. I think we need to be more excited about how we can jump in. We're going to look at a Bible character who thrived during a difficult time. And we're going to be reminded that while the church has looked very different over the last 2,000 years, we are the bride of Christ and He is faithful to loving, empowering, and protecting the one who walks with Him. And that's what I want us to do. I want us to walk as the bride of Christ with Him. The years ahead are scary and exciting, and they're really uncharted. But God wants you to join Him. He wants us to join Him on this journey. Will we open our eyes or close our doors? We need you to join us. This world needs Jesus in a way that they have never seen, them, seen Him before. I want to close out with one quick story and, and kind of probably not embarrass her. If I could, I would, but I don't know. But Becky Kessner, she's doing church differently than, than what we're used to. And you say, well, no, she's sitting over there. I mean, just like normal. I mean, she's right next to her knuckleheaded son, Cole. I love you, Cole. Becky does church differently. Becky, Becky was being the church yesterday. Becky volunteers her time to work with young women who have been sexually assaulted. And she goes in there and she ministers to them and she loves them. And they are in the most traumatic time of their life and they are broken. And she's not sitting in a pew singing a song. She's being the church. She's helping them give hope and a future to some girls who have just been broken and violated and they don't know that they can trust anybody and she can walk in. And that's what the church is going to have to look like. I'm not saying we have to close down the doors and stop meeting here, but we have to find ways to be the, the, the Robbie Bornholtz that are they're going into the schoolrooms and, and on the fields and saying, okay, this is how Jesus lives and loves. I don't, I, oh, oh, Miss Gay. I love you, Gay. Gay does church all the time. She sits in a pew some of the time, but man, she lives out church. When she's out wrangling up some of the other widows and loving them and just having a ball, whatever. It, I mean, just be in church. Rita Taylor, on the back row, she was wrangling some little kids. 
The age difference between them, well, it's probably not that much between Kenneth and them. It's a whole lot. But, I mean, you have these little kids. You're wrangling. You're making sure that they get to church. That's what church is. And that's how we're going to have to live. Otherwise, in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, we're just going to be half of that and half of that and half of that. I don't want this building to go up for sale because we couldn't find a way to fill it. But more than that, I don't want people outside of these walls getting caught in sin and dying lonely, miserable, broken because we didn't show Jesus to them in an ever-changing world. We really can do this. God can use us in a powerful way. And I'm so excited about how we can think about new ways to reach this community. And my prayer for you is that you will join me as we reach out to the lost world and show them what church, what the called out, what Jesus is. Please join me this morning as we stand and sing.